Well, good morning. How you doing? Good. Let me ask you a question. You glad to be at church today? All right. I like the excitement. It's a half clap, but whatever. It's too late. It's too late. Hey, well, I'm glad that you're here. If we haven't met, my name is Chris, and I have the honor of serving as a senior pastor here at BT Church, and I have the privilege of taking us into God's Word today, which we're going to get to here in just a moment. You know, at BT, we say it each and every week, we believe in a culture of celebration. Celebration is a discipline. You don't do it, you get bad at it, and we don't want to be bad at celebrating all that God is doing. And so first off, I want to celebrate the fact that we most likely have some first-time guests in this room and online. We call those people VIPs, and so let's celebrate together all of our VIPs today. So glad that you're with us. I pray that you are blessed by our time together in worship and in the Word. Uh, again, mentioning the online group, we want to welcome the BT Online family. So McAllen family, make some noise for BT Online. Glad to have you tuned in from wherever you are watching today. Uh, this week has been Operation Christmas Child Collection Week. It's a global ministry by Samaritan's Purse where uh, shoeboxes are collected filled with uh, toys and toiletries for children across the globe that would probably otherwise not celebrate Christmas, and so we are thankful to partner with that ministry and uh, to collect thousands of boxes each year to send them out, and uh, tomorrow is the deadline, so if you have some shoe boxes at home, get those brought up here by tomorrow, uh, and let's celebrate together by uh, just, just making some noise for Operation Christmas Child uh, as these boxes go out uh, with toys, but also with the good news of Jesus. Let's celebrate that together. And then ultimately, what we really love to celebrate is the movement of God through uh, the people of BT uh, as men and women and children say yes to Jesus, finding hope in him for salvation and then being obedient as well uh, in believer's baptism. And so, so far this year, 344 people have said yes to Jesus, receiving him as the Lord and Savior of their life. And 197 people have entered the baptistries of our five physical campuses, uh, being baptized as a display of the work of God in their life. At BT, we call that believer's baptism because, simply put, baptism is for believers. Um, nowhere in Scripture are we told that baptism can secure salvation. So whether an infant is baptized, an adult is baptized, a teenager is baptized, if Jesus uh, has not been confessed as Savior, Romans 10, 9, believe in your heart, confess your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. No matter the age, uh, baptism in and of itself is not a means of salvation, it's a mark of salvation. And so we celebrate those 197 people uh, going forward with their decision to follow Jesus. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer um, that our God is infinite God and he can uh, do more than we could uh, ask or think, right? And so I, I'm always praying that God would do above and beyond what I can comprehend. And just to be honest with you, sometimes I pray for things, and what I'm praying for, I don't see happen. And people say, well, well, why do you, you know, it's one thing to pray about it, but sometimes you share those things publicly, and then if you prayed for a certain goal and it didn't get met, then you're kind of busted. I'm like, I'm not busted. <laughs> uh, I, I'm asking God to provide these things, and if it doesn't happen, he has still done enough to celebrate. And so I'm just like, I'm fine saying, hey, here's, a, here's something I'm asking for. Here's a goal I'd love to celebrate. And if that doesn't get met, we're going to celebrate what God is doing and has done. And so let me just share with you. I'm praying that before the end of this year, which is hard to believe, this is the week of Thanksgiving. So we're, we're getting near the end, right? And I'm just sharing with you. I'm praying that by the end of this calendar year, we will celebrate 250 plus baptisms at our church. Uh, that would be, uh, yeah, yeah, you can clap. That would be the most baptisms we've ever had in a year. Uh, we're about, you know, four or five weeks before the end of the year. That can sound like a lot, uh, other than the fact that 
when God moves in the hearts of people, um, I believe we could see a number of people baptized that would make 250 look silly. Because I'm, I'm believing that more people will say yes to Jesus before the end of this year. And let me just say this real quick. I'm going I'm to get in preacher mode early today. I believe there are people in this room right now, and maybe people watching online, and you have said yes to Jesus, and you have the security of salvation. There's no question. But for some reason or another, you have not yet gone public with that decision through baptism. And don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. To not be baptized is not to rob your salvation. You can't lose it. But to not be baptized is to not act in obedience to the word of God, which can rob the joy of that salvation. And we say it week in and week out. We've got shirts, we've got shorts, we've got towels. On a cold day, we got warm water. So you know what you don't have? An excuse. I'm, I'm, you don't have an excuse. And maybe today would be the day that God would move in your heart, that you would respond, uh, recognizing you have that relationship secured but you want to be obedient with believer's baptism. So we celebrate 197 people making that decision at our church this year. Uh, today, we are in the last week of a short series on the life of Moses, creatively entitled Moses. Um, I'm all about creativity with sermon titles, and so it was a joke. Warm up. I know it's cold outside. We've got to warm up in the room, guys. And, and so this is the last week, and I, I hope if you've been with us that you've learned something new about Moses. I hope your Bible IQ has increased. I hope you've learned something about yourself. But ultimately, learning things about the Bible and learning things about ourselves are meaningless if we don't learn more about God. If we don't learn more about God, then it's meaningless. And so I pray through this short series you've learned more about our gracious God. This is week five. If you've missed a sermon, you can catch that online. Download our app or go to YouTube and search BT Church, and you can catch all the previous sermons there. Uh, as we've walked through uh, a very high-level uh, look at the life of Moses, where we were last week is we were in Exodus 14. In Exodus 14, we talked about how God makes a way when there is no way. When there's no way out, God still provides a way for those who seek him. Today, we're going to be in a passage that, in my opinion, I love the story of Moses, and I believe whether I'm preaching 50 weeks on Moses or one, if I'm going to talk about Moses, I can't not talk about Exodus chapter 33 and chapter 34. And so we're going to wrap up our Moses series today looking at Exodus chapters 33 and 34. And so we're making a big jump from 14 to 33. So what happened? What happened from 14 all the way through 32? Here you go. You know what happened? God was faithful. There's the short version. Through chapters 15, I'm sorry, I looked at 14 last, 15, all the way through chapter 32, God was faithful, and when his people weren't, he still was. And so today, as we pick up in Exodus chapter 33, this is what I want to talk about. If I had a title for today's sermon, it would be, What's Your Why? What's Your Why? You know, that, that existential question of what is the meaning of life, it, it, it haunts, it plagues, it fills the mind and heart of every person breathing. People are longing to know the why. Why are we here? What on earth are we here for? Uh, what, 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 what does God want from me? What is the why? The most ardent atheist today who rejects everything about God, and maybe that's you and you're here today. Praise God that you're here. But at the end of the day, the most ardent atheist who rejects the very concept of God still wants to know why. Why, why are we here? And let me just say this. If you're going to you know, check out, you're going to take a nap, you're going to miss an awesome sermon, just want to tell you. But if you're about to hit the snooze button, um, let this be good news for you. You've been created on purpose for a purpose. The question is, will you find it? See, everyone's been created on purpose for a purpose, but not everyone finds that purpose. 
And, and, and if we don't get it right, if we don't get right the why, then we'll miss it our entire life. And we will go through our lives searching for meaning in places where it cannot be found. And short version is this. Why are we here? We are here for the glory of God. To, to declare it, but this is something the church doesn't always talk about, and to receive it. Now, now, the word glory, when we talk about the glory of God in church, unfortunately, many times it never gets defined. Many times it's always this abstract uh, pie in the sky, hard to understand. And, and what I hope in our few minutes together is, is that I can give you some handles to understand what God's glory is when applied to humanity. Listen, God's glory is bigger than our comprehension. But God has given us some handles in Scripture to understand why it matters, why it's what we need, and how it affects our lives today. What I want to do, give you the notes ahead of time, I want to talk about why we have a need for glory, what it means to have a hunger for God's glory, and what are the effects of God's glory when applied to our life. What is the why? You know, some years ago, I, I just remembered this story this past week. I, I honestly, it, at the time, it didn't really uh, register as far as the weight of it. But several years ago, I was playing one afternoon with one of my sons, and we're playing with some toys, and uh, my son asked me, Dad, how do you know God is real? Now, so now it's like Pastor Chris with his the theology degrees. I'm like, oh, my five-year-old son is pondering the meaning of life and, 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 and God. And so what, what does Pastor Chris say? He says, well, you know, bud, the, the Bible says that creation declares the glory of God. Like everywhere we look, it, it, it points to God's glory. He's like, I said, you, you know how I know that God's real? I said, sure, how? He said, because sometimes I have a toy that doesn't work, and then I pray, and it starts working. <laughs> I said, like, well, you got me there, bud. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes sometimes, right? How do we know God's real? Because he, he, he's not just satisfied for us to know about him. He is intent on us knowing him. And knowing him is the single greatest good we have in this life. And so our why is the very glory of God, that we would declare it, but that we would also receive that and we would walk in that. And so today we're going to walk through various parts of Exodus 33 and 34 and we're going to hope to understand a little bit more of the weight of God's glory applied to our lives. In Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 1, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, Go up from here, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your offspring. I will send an angel ahead of you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Parasites, right? That would be amazing. Just drive out the mosquitoes. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but listen to this, but I will not go up with you because you are a stiff-necked people. Church folk were different back then. We're not stiff-necked anymore. Um, you're a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. Okay, Chris, what in the world is happening Talking about how you know God is gracious and we need God's glory. What, what is happening at the beginning of Exodus 33, where God is saying to Moses, "Go to the promised land." Go, you know, God's He started this covenant relationship with a guy named Abraham, right? And and Abraham had many 
Yeah, yeah, and I'm one of them, and so are you. We, we can't not do that every, every time. So, so, so he, he, God initiates this covenant relationship with Abraham, and part of it is that, that Abraham would be the father of a nation who through the nation the whole world would be blessed. That's Jesus being available for everyone, by the way. But also there was a land that was promised, hence the name promised land. And Israel had been waiting to receive the fullness of the promised land. And here in Exodus 33, 1 through 3, God is saying, I'm going to give you the land. In fact, I'm sending an angel to drive out all the Ittites you'll face. You don't even have to fight. I'm going to clear the way. You're going to get a land flowing with milk and honey. But I'm not going with you. Because you people are stiff-necked, and if I go with you, I might kill you on the way, right? We don't always like to talk about that in the Bible. Well, what has God just done? He has dropped the ultimate parent line. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out, right? I brought you into this world, and if I go with you to the promised land, I just might take you out of it. Okay, what is happening? Why is God so upset? Well, in Exodus 32, I don't have time to walk all the way through it, but something important happens in Exodus 32. In obedience, Moses would go up Mount Sinai where he would meet with God. And in this instance, he would go to receive the infamous Ten Commandments. And he was gone for a while. This is Moses who, who led the people by God's choosing, led them out of Egypt across the Red Sea, Signs and wonders happened, and the people always saw God work with Moses around. Now Moses has gone up Sinai, and he's gone for, the better, for over a month, right? He's up there, and he didn't take any food with him. And so the people back down you know, from the mountain, they're, they're like, what's up with Mo? I mean, he, he's been gone weeks. He's, he took no food. By the way, the, the mountain shakes and the thunder and lightning, and I'm pretty sure it's on fire and eventually, this is paraphrased, by the way, eventually the people say to Aaron, who's kind of the, the, the priest for the people, they say, Aaron, we think Moe's a goner. Like, dudes, he's been up there for weeks. He hadn't eaten. The mountain is literally shaking. I don't think the old man can survive that. And the people look at Aaron and they say, we've kind of had our fill with a God we can't see. So as priest, why, why don't you... Why don't you help us out? We want a God we can see. And so Aaron says, well, bring me all your jewelry. Bring me your gold and silver. And those of you that know the Bible a little bit, you know that Israel got said gold and silver from Egypt. When God sent them out of Egypt, he said, you're not going empty-handed. They took gold and silver with them. Why does that matter? Now the people of God are, are, are worshiping the gifts of God instead of God himself. They're taking what he had blessed them with, and now they're turning into an object of worship. How do I know that still happens today? Because almost any time I talk about money, someone gets mad in this place. Why would people get upset when the church talks about money? Listen, sometimes the church talks about it wrong, no doubt. You know, we, we got to buy some jets. We got, you know, oh, 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 that, that, that. but it's also, we're, we're not trying to buy jets, by the way. It's ridiculous. It's just a helicopter, but no. <laughs> that, that is wrong. But, but, it, but also sometimes the church makes giving like a, a weight. And, you know, if you don't give, then you don't love God. But we, we give because God has given. 
But let me just be real honest. You, you know why almost without fail, anytime I address the subject of giving and finances, I get an email about it? And, and if you sent one, sorry. Because we're worshiping it. People don't want their gods attacked. And so the people, they take, listen, resources are a blessing from God. But they're not God. That's why the Bible says, not that money is the root of evil, but loving it is. And so the people take the blessings of God and go to Aaron and say, give us a God. And so Aaron melts down all this gold and silver and he fabricates, he fashions a golden bull, a calf. And he takes the calf in Exodus 32 and he puts it in the air and he says, Israel, behold the God who led you out of Egypt. That would be a great moment for the next verse to say, and the people scoffed at him and said, no, it's not. That's a golden calf you just made. But it doesn't say that. Instead, he lifts the calf and says, behold the God who led you out of Egypt, and they bow down and worship. Up on the mountain, God tells Moses, those people are acting a fool. You should check it out. Moses comes down from the mountain, sees what's happening, breaks the Ten Commandments, that, that's a bad idea, drops the Ten, breaks them, and lets the people have it. That leads to Exodus 33, 1 through 3, where God says in a gracious tone, I'm going to give you what I promised, but I'm not going with you. And listen, here in 2022, we can read Exodus 33 or Exodus 32 and say, how ridiculous. I mean, seriously. They, they, they made a golden statue and then worshipped it. That's ridiculous. And you know what? It is ridiculous. But it still happens. Because Satan is crafty and he hasn't really changed his ways. And, and we may not today in the church be melting down jewelry for golden calves, but the insidious nature of idol worship still exists. We exchange the truth for a lie and we worship gift over giver. Listen, and I'm just going to say this today. In our country, there are right now people sitting in pews and chairs across churches across this country. And the truth is, in their heart, they would gladly take this kind of religion. Wait, wait. You're saying I get all the good stuff and I don't actually have to give surrender to God? Like, I can get the gifts of God without actually following God? Here's, here's the heartbreak. Churches are filled with people that would love that religion. Because we have unfortunately exalted many times gift over giver. And if we can get the goods of God without the presence of God, many times, many people would take that offer. But what we have to understand, beloved, is that we don't need God's stuff. We need God's presence. And so first thing I'd ask you to write down is this. We, we have an intrinsic need for God's glory. There is a nagging, gnawing reality in all of humanity that longs for meaning and what is the why. And the why is God's presence and his glory descended upon his people. We, simply put, don't have a need for more of God's blessing. He is gracious to bless us. But we don't have a need for more of the stuff of God. We have a need of more of the presence of God in our lives. So, so God says to Moses, hey, here's the deal. I'm going to give you the goods. I'm just not going with you. What would end up happening in the next section of Exodus 33 is Moses would enter into what's called the tent of meeting. It was a meeting place where, God, where Moses and God would, would commune together. 
And they have this discussion. And ultimately what happens is we see Moses understands that there is a greater need for God than God's stuff. Because in Exodus 33 verse 12, it says this. Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know with whom you will, whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name. And you have found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways. And I will know you so that I may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. Verse 14, and he, that's God, replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, for all the English majors out there, we know that you can be singular or plural. That's why when people up north mock Texas, they don't understand our level of genius that we have created y'all. I might tell my friend Omar, you need to do this. But if I want to tell this whole section, I would say y'all need, right? And it's clear. Well, if you looked at the original language, when God is speaking to Moses, he's not using y'all. He's telling Moses, you and I are good, okay? I got no problems with you, Mo. We're good. I'll go with you. And I will give you rest. Verse 15. If your presence, Moses is speaking, if your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of of the earth. What is Moses saying? He's saying, listen, listen, I don't, I don't want the promised land without the promise keeper. I don't, I don't, I don't want the wealth. I don't want the stuff if you're not a part of it. And let me just ask you a sobering question. Is that your heart today? Are, are you so praying that God would give you the spouse that The truth is you want that more than him. Are you so praying that God would give you kids, that that you want that more than him, that God would give you promotion, status, significance outside of him? Are we so wanting the stuff of God that the truth is we're not really interested in God? And Moses says, I don't want the stuff without you because he is displaying an understanding of his need for more of God. Moses is saying, I need you in the middle of all of it. And if you won't go, I won't go. Moses is keenly aware of the intrinsic nagging he has for meaning. And what he knows is that meaning won't be found in what this world can offer or even in the blessings that God bestows. But it's only found in God himself. And beloved, you and I today, we still have a need for the glory of God to be applied to our lives. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah would write about this in Jeremiah chapter 9. Verse 23, Jeremiah writes these words here. It says, this is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong person should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. What what is Jeremiah writing? He's saying, listen, if you got some smarts, you got wisdom, don't brag about that. You got strength, don't brag about that. You got wealth, don't brag about that. If you're going to brag, if you're going to boast, boast that you know the Lord and he knows you. That's what you boast about.
And so we, we, we all have this intrinsic need for the glory of God. But let me just say this. What, what is it, right? You know, I said earlier that, that many times we talk about glory in the church and the glory of God. And we'll talk about the glory of God was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And, and it stays very kind of out there, right? Or, the, again, the glory of God can't be fully comprehended by people. But, but sometimes we're not careful in the church. The glory of God always is this out there reality that, that, that really doesn't kind of affect us as people. And that's just not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is that the glory of God is something that we need in our lives. And, and I think the Bible also teaches us that it's something we should hunger for. That's the second thing you should write down today. We need to have a hunger for God's glory. We need to have a hunger for God's glory. In Exodus 33, jumping to verse 17, it says this. And the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. And then verse 18, after Moses has seen God do miracle after miracle, he's met with him in the tent of meeting. I mean, he's just, he's really had a pretty significant relationship with the Lord. In verse 18, he says, then Moses said, Please let me see your glory, or please show me your glory. Okay, so what is glory, right? It, we don't need to make it necessarily this out there thing. Now, now I'm just going to tell you, sometimes people in the church, we want everything about God to be not understandable. Because candidly, when we start to understand it, we've got to apply it. <laughs> and while there is an element of the glory of God being so big and beyond comprehension... When the Bible speaks plainly, we should plainly let it speak. And Moses says, please let me see your glory. He's displaying a hunger for more of God. And what is God's response? He said, I will cause all my goodness. Everybody say goodness. What did Moses ask to see? Glory. What did God say he would show? goodness. What is God's glory? It's his goodness applied to his people. Glory is not this out there, unapproachable, un, can't be understood reality. Bible says God is good and he does good. God's not confused by the question and a hunger for more of God. Moses says, says, please show me your glory. And he says, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. Now, there's a lot of depth right there. It, I mean, it's a beautiful passage, but I'm going to stay on the practical side, just, just to give you a head. We're not going to dive into unpacking what does it mean that Moses saw the back of God. And I, that, that, that's a theology class, and we're going, to, we're going to preach a sermon, okay? So, so Moses hungers for more of what he needs, and he says, please let me see your glory. And God's response is, I will show all of my goodness to you. And he says, I will proclaim my name. Where are you going with this, Chris? When, when God's glory descends upon his people, it's not simply a feeling. Sometimes in the church, we have equated God's glory with a feeling. And feelings aren't bad, right? But it's not some electrical shock that goes through by, ooh, I felt, I felt the glory of, of the Lord, right? It, it's not some, some feeling. 
Because God is not primarily interested in us feeling him. He's interested in us knowing him. And that's a beautiful reality. And and so whenever God's glory, this, this sometimes hard to understand concept, let me just make it simple. What is God's glory? It's his goodness applied to your life. And every time God descends his glory upon people who seek him and hunger for that, it always comes with content. When Moses said, let me see your glory, God didn't cause an earthquake. God didn't make fire fall from the sky. He didn't, again, signs and wonders, great things that point to the existence of God. But God is not primarily intent on us feeling him. He is intent on us knowing him. And so when when Moses asks to see God's glory, God gives him content about himself. He says, I'm going to proclaim my name. You'll know that I'm compassionate. You'll know that I'm gracious. And he starts to unfold his goodness before Moses. Content. You know, I studied this passage this week, and I, I started to think just about my, my own self and, and people in the church sometimes. Like, why, why don't we continually hunger for more of God's glory? Like, why, why, why do we check out sometimes? Why, why do we sometimes honestly want the gift more than the giver? And, and as I thought about it, I think, I think sometimes you, we just, you and I, we just get used to the fact that we're saved. We just get used to it. If we're not careful, some, some people, I've, I've met them in the church, they don't just get used to it. They, they think they deserve it. We get used to the fact that Jesus paid the bill, and we get the benefits. And beloved, hear me today. You, you will never truly hunger for the glory of God. If you are not overwhelmed with what he has already done for you. Your hunger for more of him. Your your depth of understanding of your need for him. More than you need breath. More than you need finances. More than you need relationships. More than you need status. More than you need acceptance. Your, Your depth of understanding of how much you need him. Your hunger for him will always be stunted. If you somehow reach a point where you are not overwhelmed that God has saved you. That he has called you. You know, in, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he affectionately calls himself, that, that's pretty cute, right? John gives him the name, the disciple whom he loved. I'm like, anyways, you didn't get that one, but keep going. John, the beloved disciple, wrote the book of Revelation. And it's a vision that he had from the Lord, and part of Revelation gets kind of crazy. But, but in Revelation chapter 5, in Revelation chapter 5, he, he begins to write about what he is seeing, and he, and he depicts in Revelation 5, verses 11 through 13, a picture of the courtroom of heaven. And listen to what it says. This is Revelation chapter 5, starting verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered. Everybody say slaughtered. slaughtered. All these voices are saying, worthy is Jesus who died on the cross. That's what, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb, right, reference back, who was slaughtered forever and ever. Where are you going with this, Chris? You know what Revelation 5 teaches me? Revelation 5 teaches me that all of heaven has not yet gotten over John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have life everlasting. When I read Revelation 5, what I come to understand in my simple mind is somehow heaven has not gotten over Jesus. The, the, The angels in heaven are like, are you kidding me? He left heaven and he put on flesh. He, he, he was a baby. He got hungry and thirsty and tired and he lived with those messed up, stiff-necked people. And when they rejected him and he could have called us, angel speaking, right? He could have called us down from heaven to wipe out the planet. He could have just snapped his finger and called us down. But instead of doing that, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so he paid for these foolish people's mistakes. He paid their bill. And then when his body, the body of the Lord was placed in a tomb by the power of the Spirit, he didn't just pay their debt, he gave them power for victory because he walked out of the tomb and it says, if you'll believe in me, I will give you life. And heaven is just saying, are you kidding me? This is the story. And yet on earth there are churches, hear me, filled with people that are sitting in seats and pews and saying, yeah. And woe to the church and to the believer that thinks of the goodness of God that he would let his glory descend upon us and that we would just think, yeah, instead of losing our ever-loving minds, that he saved a wretch like me. You know the problem? You know the problem today? Let me say get you offended. The problem today isn't the wrong people in office. The problem today isn't the young generation. The problem today isn't the old generation. You know the single greatest problem? It's not politicians, it's not generations, and it's not people far from God living in sin. It's people saved by his amazing grace forgetting how amazing it is. That's the problem. That's the problem. And we, we, we have stopped hungering and longing for more of him. And when we start to hunger for his glory, he gives us the content of his character. Revelation, I'm sorry, in Exodus 34, God would continue He would say this in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones. And I'll write them, I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, by the way, Moses. Be prepared by morning. Come up Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. No one may go up with you. In fact, no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and herds are not to graze in front of that mountain. Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning and taking the two stone tablets in his hand, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. 
The Lord came down in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. Here's the content. This, this, hear me. This is God's glory revealed to humanity. He proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. All that goes back to Moses says, please let me see your glory. God says, I will make all my goodness go before you. I will proclaim my name to you. And then he says, get, get, get a pen and paper and write this one down. You ask for my glory. You know who I am? He's still answering the question, show me your glory. He says, you know who I am? I'm a compassionate and gracious God. I am slow to anger. I am long-suffering. I extend forgiveness to generations upon generations. My faithful love endures forever. I don't turn my back on those who continue to do evil. There will be punishment. By the way, God says, that's my job, not yours. And so when we hunger for God's glory, it's not this out there you know, theoretical reality, it's that we hunger, it's that we hunger for more of his character to be applied to our lives. And so how do we hunger for the glory of God? What did Moses do in verse 18? He asked for it, right? I mean, the the New Testament, take it to Jesus, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open. Now, we got people in church saying, Pastor, I don't believe that. I've been asking for, for years. It's not, you're asking the wrong question. You're knocking on the wrong door. You're seeking the wrong things. God is not a cosmic vending machine. But he is a dispenser of grace and mercy and compassion and purpose and meaning. And when you ask, seek, and knock those things, you will always receive. And so how do we hunger for God's glory? We ask for it, and, and then we position ourselves to receive it. You see, in, in Exodus 33, God tells Moses in verse 21, there is a place, there is a place that I will put you, that I will place you for my glory to pass by. Now listen, to cross that bridge, right? Obviously, we're not going to go climb a mountain in the Rio Grande Valley for, you know, to hide in the crevice of the rock. But we we don't have to take scripture out of context to make it applicable. Just as there was a place that Moses could position himself to receive the glory of God applied to his life, I promise you you and me there there are places we can position ourselves to receive from the Lord. What, What are those places? Those are the places where we get into the word of God because we want more of him. Beloved, let me just say it. If your Bible marker was in Exodus 14, because last Sunday is the last time you opened the Bible, you are not positioning yourself. You're not positioning yourself to receive God's glory, which is available. Your prayer life, what that looks like, speaks to the position you are in to receive God's glory. The way you use your gifts and talents to serve the church of God reflects how positioned you are to receive God's glory. Your commitment to corporate worship with the saints. Guess what? God says in the book of Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering. It's important. 
and, and how you value that bottom line speaks to the position you are in to receive his glory in your life. That what you do with your resources, your generosity, all of those things are the places where you position yourself for the glory of God. In over 20 years of serving the church, I have had multiple conversations where someone goes through a terrible situation, the dark night of the soul, and they come and they say, Chris, you know, I, I just don't feel God like I used to. Now listen, again, it's not primarily a feeling, right? So we keep seeking him even when we don't feel it. But, but almost without fail, 90% of those conversations go like this. You know, I went through this. I don't know how God, why God allowed it. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. And I just don't feel God like I used to. And my next question is, well, where are you in the scriptures? What's your prayer life? Hey, are you, are you connecting with the church? I say, well, no. then you're removing yourself from the position and the places that God is still speaking. He hasn't stopped speaking. You're just not listening. To hunger for the glory of God, we've got to ask God every day, God, I need more of your glory. I need more of you. I don't want your stuff. I want you. And then we position ourselves through what we call spiritual disciplines to receive that which the Lord has for us. And I think... I think sometimes the reason why we don't ask is because we are willing to settle for accidental encounters with God's glory. Show up at church, haven't been in the word, haven't been seeking the Lord, fulfilling sinful desires, and God moves in the worship service and you just, you're impacted. Praise God for that. That's God's grace. But you understand how that's an accidental encounter? You weren't seeking him. He sought you as he always does. And, and when we say, I am thankful for what I experienced of God yesterday, but I need something fresh today, and I need something tomorrow, and I need something the next day, and that's why we are driven to the word of God and prayer and community and all those things, because we don't want to settle for accidental encounters, and we don't want to settle for yesterday's Jesus. We hunger for the glory of God to come down on our lives in a real and practical way. For Moses... It was a tent of meeting. Where's your tent of meeting? Where's that place that you position yourself to receive from him? But then ultimately, ultimately, when we understand our need for God's glory, when we display a hunger for God's glory, there will always be the effects of God's glory on our lives. God's glory always has an effect. In Exodus 34, jumping to verse 29, it says this. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that his skin, the skin of his face, shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him, but Moses called out to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what he had been commanded. And the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. And then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. Listen to me. Context. I'm not saying that as you spend more time in the word of God and in prayer and with the church that you're going to start glowing. Like if it happens, let me know. We need to get that on video. Okay? Again, we, we don't take the Bible out of context. We, we let it speak 
historically to what happened, and then we let it apply to what's happening. You catch that? And so I'm not saying that the more you hunger for God's glory, you're going to start glowing. But the principle applies that the more you understand your need for God's glory and you hunger for God's glory and his glory is applied to your life, when that happens, you will reflect his glory. Don't miss this. This one's good. When people are affected by God's glory, they start to reflect God's glory. Now, what does that look like? Here we go. Wrapping it up. What, what is it? See, this is where it starts to get real practical, and this is where a lot of people don't like it. What does it look like to be affected by the glory of God in such a way that I start to reflect it? That goes back to what is God's glory? You know, plenty of people in the church, they want to reflect uh, this pious stature. Plenty of people in the church, they want to reflect something that says, I'm better. Listen, God's better than us. Amen. I want to reflect that. God is just. I want to reflect that. God has wrath. I want to reflect that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I want to reflect that. By the way, he said it was his. And I believe, listen to, I believe we, we have some intrinsic fear of being taken advantage of. And, and, and let me just be clear. We should not long for being taken advantage of. We should not look for that, and we shouldn't take advantage of each other. We should not do that. But there is something in us that when it happens, we kind of get hurt. And so then we want to kind of mount up and, and display all these things of God that we're actually not called to display. And that when we receive grace through Christ, it's not what we get. What is God's glory in Exodus 33 and 34? Moses says, let me see your glory. God says, I will make my goodness and its fullness appear before you. I will proclaim my name. And then in Exodus 34, 1 through 8, he starts to spell out what glory applied looks like. What did he say? I'm a compassionate and gracious God. I am slow to anger. I, I, I forgive iniquities for generations. Right? He, he began out, what did he say? He said that he will not let the guilty go unpunished. Notice that he said, I will not let the guilty go unpunished. And, and so when we truly start to hunger for the glory of God and it's applied to our lives, we don't go through situations and think of ways that we can harbor bitterness. We don't go through situations and think of ways that we withhold forgiveness. We don't go through situations and think of ways that we don't apply compassion or grace or that we pop off and we are quick to anger. Because when Jesus applied his glory to your life, he was what? Compassionate. And when he applied his glory to your life, he was gracious. And when he applied his glory to your life through the son Jesus, he was slow to anger. And he forgave a multitude of sins. And he threw the, your sins, the record of that, as far as the east is from the west. And so very practically, when I want to evaluate how I'm doing in reflecting God's glory, I need to ask myself, how compassionate am I being with those around me? Am I being as compassionate as God has been towards me? How gracious am I being to those around me? How slow to anger am I? How long-suffering am I? How forgiving am I? Because, beloved, more than shining skin, when the people of God are hungering for his glory in such a way that we start to actually operate like him, <laughs> more than shiny skin, that's going to make a difference. In our homes, it's going to make a difference. When husbands and wives stop figuring out how the other one needs to fix themselves and they start getting fixed by the Lord. 
saying, well, if she'll stop doing that, then I would be more compassionate and gracious. Well, I'm sure glad that's not the measure by which God chose to be compassionate to me. So our homes will be transformed. Our workplaces will be transformed. Our schools will be transformed. Our church will be transformed. Our community will be transformed because you know what God's glory does? It transforms things. And so we, we know that we need it. And then we long for it because we start to realize that God is better than God's stuff. And as we start to long for it, the effects of God in our lives becomes manifest. Fancy word, it's visible to those around us. And the truth is, when you and I choose to be compassionate and gracious and long-suffering and forgiving like Jesus, we don't need glowing skin for people to know we've been with them. It's evident. It's evident. And so what do we do with that? As we get ready to worship together, let me just give you a few things to think about. Here's a question I want you to ponder today. What are you hungering for? That's a question only you can answer. But what, what are you hungering for? Are, are you hungering for more of God in your life? Or are your prayers simply a wish list of more of his stuff? Are you hungering that, 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 that you would know him more and in a deeper way? For those of you in this room, in just a few minutes, we're, we're going to worship together with a time of singing. And this might be a chance for you to get out of your seat and to come to this altar at the front of the room. Listen, some of you, maybe you come every week, praise God. Some of you, you sit in that seat week after week, unmoved. You might as well be a, a statue. And let me be clear, there's nothing magical about walking the aisle of a church. I promise there's no more of God's glory and presence at the padded altar than at your seat. But there is a powerful work in active obedience. And I'm not trying to manufacture something, but if God is drawing you to respond, then, then what if you just, with reckless abandon, came and knelt at the altar? Maybe couples come together. Maybe families come together. And the simple prayer is that you would have a reignited hunger for more of him. As that hunger gets reignited, guess what? Actions will follow. You'll reprioritize the family of God through the local church. You'll reprioritize your time as you seek to serve. You'll reprioritize your treasure as you give generously. Those things will follow. If you say you hunger for God and there's no overflow of that hunger, then something's off. So for some, maybe this is a chance for you to come forward and maybe get with one of our prayer team members or just come kneel at this altar. If you're watching online where you are at home, just make that an altar. Start crying out to God and message us if we can pray with you. But, but what's your hunger? What's your reflection today? How are you reflecting the glory of God applied to your life around, to those around you? Maybe today you just need to make a decision that this week you're going to try to grow in compassion and grace and mercy and patience, forgiveness. Maybe you want to make a list of ways that you're going to try to display who God is to you to those that will be around you. I said it earlier today, listen, we're, we're out of time. I got to wrap up. Maybe you, you said yes to Jesus weeks ago, months ago, years ago. You, you have that security of salvation, but for whatever reason, you have not yet been baptized. You know what obedience is? It's a reflection of God's glory. And maybe today there's someone, and you don't need to come kneel at the altar. You need to go out this door right here if you're in this room. You need to go out that door to that info center. And you need to tell the people at the info center that you're getting baptized today. And through obedience, you reflect God's glory in your life. But maybe today there's someone. 
And the truth is, a lot of this content has, has, has not really sunk in. Because if you haven't said yes to Jesus, God's glory will always be out there. And the truth is, without, without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, God's glory is hard to comprehend. It is an out there reality. But the Bible tells us that God did not require us to do some checklist of activity. He, he requires that we get new identity. And as I say every week in Romans 10, 9, how do we get identity? We believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That God raised him from the dead. And that in doing so, we, we are saved. Saved from what? Saved from our sins. Saved from ourselves. Saved from hopelessness. Saved from eternity apart from God. We become heirs of John three sixteen, life everlasting. John 10, 10, life to the fullest. But that identity is not secured in your religious activity. Well, I got baptized as a baby. Well, I, I go to church Sunday and Wednesday. Well, I, my, my mom lights candles when she prays. For, I'm asking, do you know that you have said yes to Jesus? Because until you say yes to him, God's glory will always be an out there reality. But by the power of the spirit, when we receive Jesus as savior, the out there reality becomes an inward reality. And then, then, then you can hunger for the right things. Your, your wanter gets fixed and you start to want Jesus. And so today, if you haven't made that decision, I'm going to invite you to make that decision. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes if you're in this room or if you're watching online. And today, if you need to say yes to Jesus, right where you are, I ask you to say this prayer with me. The, the prayer is not a magic formula. We say it every week. It's not a magic formula. It's a simple way for you to confess that you believe Jesus is who he says he is and that you need him to be your savior. And so today, wherever you are, if you want to make that decision, right where you are, just say this prayer. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I'm far from you. I know that I'm hopeless without you. But I believe you made a way for me to have hope. I believe you sent your son Jesus that he left heaven and came to earth. And I believe he lived without sin. And I believe he died on the cross and in doing so paid for my sin. And I believe three days later he rose again in victory. And today, Jesus, I'm asking for that victory in my life. I'm trusting you with my life. And I'm asking you to be my savior. Will you help me live for you every day? And thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray.